This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Episode 227 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I'm joined by the one and only Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. Hello, Stefan. How are you on this very fine, rainy Tuesday? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good, even though I'm enjoying the same rain you are, <laughs> because I'm in Germany right now. So I'm not enjoying the sunshine of Colorado for once. Yeah, such a such a pity. Um <laughs> uh yeah. Now you now you know how it feels, Matthias. Um to be in the ever shade of the clouded Germany. Um we have a lot of things to talk about and I'm I'm kinda sad that we do not get to announce a sponsor for this show on uh from our patrons and uh with that I have to urge our listeners we still have uh Marco Royce Cups uh to get on on Patreon, and I guess before we talk about the three-two uh, win against Frankfurt, which was quite dramatic, we uh, talk about something which I think, in general picture, is even a little bit more dramatic, and that was Marco Royce putting pen to paper on Friday afternoon, five twenty p.m., extending his deal to two thousand twenty-three. Matthias, yes, <laughs> I thought you you just share your emotions. And what do you think this means for the club? Well, I mean, somebody put it on Twitter that, uh, you know, God bless Marco Royce for <laughs> extending his contract always at times when the club isn't playing <laughs> that well. Um, but overall, it's a huge sign. I mean, it shows, I think Aki Vatska was asked a day or so afterwards if this means that Marco Royce is going to end his career as a Borussia Dortmund player. And he said something to the effect of that is the, the goal from both sides. So obviously it, it harkens back to his decision when he was at Gladbach to basically pick Dortmund over Bayern, pick Dortmund over the money that Bayern can offer. Uh, also from the standpoint of this is his home. This is where he's from. This is where his family's from. This girlfriend is from. All that kind of stuff. And I think he just loves it here and also the loyalty that the club has shown him despite a couple um, longer-term injuries. Uh, he's he's a Dortmund player, and he kind of wants to be that, you know, that 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 player you think of in this generation, like in the previous generations, you thought of players like Michael Zorak or Lars Ricken, players like that, uh, Jürgen Kohler to a certain degree, even though Kohler obviously didn't spend the majority of his career at Dortmund, uh, but kind of a club icon and legend. And I think by extending his contract, he has definitely achieved that status now. Yeah, I was just going to ask whether Marco Royce is a club legend already or is going to be. For me, that's a definite yes. You know, it's really interesting because Marco Royce decides in this situation to put 
you know, pens and paper. In 2015, I, th I thought, uh, you know, there was still a lot of potential in the team when uh, he extended until 2019, you know, Dortmund were in last place. But nevertheless, they had just so many good players on their on their roster that I thought, okay, this is just a bad accident freak season and uh, it's going to get better. Definitely. Um, this time around, I don't have the same feeling. I, I feel like there is going to be a big overhaul. Dortmund is stuttering a little bit and maybe the club is not moving into the right direction in general. Yet Royce decides, okay, um, I still see something can develop here. Um, Matthias, just imagine Royce would have left at the end of the season to say go to Arsenal or I don't know Liverpool to rejoin with you in club or any other club just to you know maybe get a chance of winning silverware or just you know have a change of scenery what would have been the ramifications for Dortmund in that instance well I mean aside from the fact that they would have made a lot of money uh because obviously he was still under contract it would have been symbolic an end of an error I mean yes Götze is still there um you know and he was he's not going anywhere anytime soon but Overall, you'd have to say it was the end of that era, that that era of Jurgen Klopp football that's still kind of there with some players, and the the end of that really successful reign. And it's it would be a total rebuild, and and we'd have to emotionally deal with the fact that Dortmund is a upper mid table side at that point. Uh, I think with him being there, it sets a sign also for other extremely good. I mean, I wouldn't say he's world-class just because he's been injured uh, now for a while, but he's on the edge of world-class. Those type of players to go, you know, Marco Reus extends his contract, uh, Mario Götze came back, he's still there, and so on. That that sets that tone and sign also for recruitment of high-quality players moving forward. Yeah, that's a very good sign, and maybe also to the players that are already there, that are already there, that Dortmund may want to keep. Um, but I, I, I really think it's if if you want to put it in one word it 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 gives hope Dortmund fans that uh, you know want to see their club blossom and prosper and whatnot you know I think a lot of that hinged on that decision what Royce would do and I don't know I, I it's it's hard to put in words for me how big this decision is for Marco Royce to decide okay Dortmund is the place for me to be because had he left you know, that would have just been so depressing because that really would have sent the message. Um, you know, even the uh, local guy who has been really, really close to the club, um, you know, born in, in Dortmund, you know, even he is now leaving the sinking ship, basically. And uh, I think it reinstates a little bit of belief. Um, the bigger question, of course, is what did Borussia Dortmund tell Marco Reus to persuade him? to sign that dotted line. Um, he was asked on uh, Sunday after the game, um, you know, if uh, the uh, club officials laid out a good perspective for him, you know, basically alluding to maybe, uh, you know, who, what, what players are coming in and, of course, what coach is coming in. And he said, well, you can be very much sure of that without, you know, giving any more insight. But, uh, you know, if you read between the lines, you already kind of know that... They, they shared some insights uh, with Marco Reus. So, Matthias, I will have you guessing now what this could be. Do you think uh, Borussia Dortmund more or less already, you know, have a broader idea who will be the next coach and uh, what sort of players will be targeted or maybe scrapped from the roster? 
I would have to say so. I mean, they, they probably had to share that kind of information with him, uh, to a certain degree at least. And I'm, I'm sure he's not the only one. Uh, I'm sure Mario Goetze would be part of that, that process, maybe Julian Weigel and so on. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it means it won't necessarily be Peter Stöger. <laughs> uh, even though the players seem to really like him. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be any animosity there. Like there was with I mean, he's a really nice guy. It's, it's really hard to, like, uh, to hate Stuga, I think. Oh, yeah, um, for so, sure. From, um, on a human level, he is a really, really great guy, but I just don't think in the long term that he fits to Dortmund. I just still think Dortmund need a possession based coach and not Peter Stuga. That's just my opinion, but, uh, I, I don't know. Right now, I just don't think that, um, he has much of a future the way Dortmund are playing football. What do you think? Well, I mean, if I was Hans-Joachim Watzke, I would say no. I mean, it, he doesn't, he's a great guy. He's a good coach for a club like a Köln, the, that kind of type, you know, mid and lower mid table side, uh, low risk, uh, wait for your opponent to make a mistake. Like you've put it before, uh, type of a tactical approach to the game. And that's fine, but it's not fine for Dortmund. Um, you know, that may work for Schalke, but it doesn't work for Dortmund. And as such, they're looking for a manager that's more, let's call it modern in that aspect, more attack-minded, possession-minded, um, more attractive uh, also for players of higher technical quality to bring them in and develop that kind of system. You know, a Tuchel-like manager, maybe without Tuchel's baggage as far as the fact that he's not the easiest person to deal with um but but someone you know you know like a, a nagelsmann ish type uh shiny <laughs> manager uh that that gets everybody excited i think that's more what they're looking for and i think that's also what players like royce and Götze are looking for and i wouldn't be surprised if that's the case especially given some of the rumblings we've heard out of bayern from jopankis even um, you know, supposedly recommending Tuchel and people saying, oh, he may be the front runner to take over for Heinkes. And, and who knows what that does or doesn't mean at this point. Yeah, well, I have a feeling that it's pretty sad that Tuchel will be Bayern Minute. And this is going to be really interesting because on the one hand, uh, you kind of assume that he will transform Bayern into a better team just on the football field but then you also remember oh well he didn't get along with everyone and we also know Bayern Munich are a big family but uh, there are also some characters and big big egos in there <clears throat> Mats Hummels and um, you, you just you just know as you know on the one hand you know Bayern will probably be even more successful with Tuchel but uh, you also sort of sniff a falling out and then you don't know what will happen afterwards. But um, I don't know. Maybe Yup continues another year <laughs> and surprises everyone. But that's, I find that really hard to believe. Anyway, back to, back to Dortmund. Um, it's kind of nice to have Marco Reus back and, and to perform as well as, as he is doing currently. Uh, of course, he can still get better. Um, but he was also out for eight months and, uh, it's, I think it's, it's really great that the club showed that much patience with this particular injury to really give him another week and another week until he really felt ready to play. And now he can play, yeah, almost every three days. And for now, it doesn't really seem like he has a lot of problems with it. He is doing 
fairly well with the strain. I think there will be another break. Eventually, maybe uh, the international break uh, after the Hanover game will be something to look at. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited that Marco Royce chose to have sort of his prime at Dortmund because I still think that he can do better than he has been doing before in his career in, in a black and yellow shirt. I mean, he's 28 years old now, right? So um, I don't know. I, I I think I think there's still some potential to. Yeah, be world class. I, I think that's certainly in there somewhere. And uh, if he stays injury free for a season, uh, maybe Dortmund will also turn in a whole nother team. And who who knows what kind of coach he will get and uh, can maybe even utilize that better. Um, that's definitely a, a really great story and uh, much needed after this. Uh, yeah, really depressing two one loss against Salzburg. Um, Dortmund in the meantime beat Frankfurt and then uh, another contract extension was announced today Lukas Piszczek added another year to his deal which is now yeah until 2020 um Matthias Lukas Piszczek wants to retire in Dortmund do you think like Royce he will retire as a legend well yeah you have to say so I mean he was part of the one of the greatest periods of Dortmund's Bundesliga era obviously the biggest period being in the mid 90s when they won the Champions League but I mean he's won two DFB Pokals two Bundesliga titles and went to the Champions League final uh, and then you know also lost a couple of DFB Pokal finals but we won't talk about that one you know the fact that he got recruited and he, he used to be an attack minded striker type player at Hatta and that can get, got converted to for quite a long time uh, I'd probably see, say behind Philipp Lahm, the best right back in the Bundesliga. And when Philipp Lahm played at left back, he was the best right back in the Bundesliga, uh, both attacking and also defensively for the longest period of time. And he had a rough start to the season, but he was also injured. But I feel like he's been playing much improved now uh, over the last couple of months. And, and he's absolutely a club legend. I mean, right up there with any of those out of the mid nineties, as well as those players out of the sixties and fifties, because he's synonymous with the success that Dortmund had under Jürgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel. Uh, and you wouldn't have had that success without him. I don't believe. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a very important figure now also in the dressing room. And uh, it's, it's kind of weird that, um, you know, Dortmund have this great record right now in the Bundesliga. I think the club posted it themselves. Uh, they are unbeaten in 31 league games with Piszczek playing. Um, of course, he has missed a couple. <laughs> Had to because uh, Dortmund also lost a, a couple of games in, in the recent months. Um, but um, I think this season we really see that Piszczek isn't on his very best anymore, that he lost a step. Um, but... You can also see that, uh, you know, even when it's not always 100% great with him at the right back position that he, you know, sometimes misplaces passes that he rather shouldn't with his experience or, you know, has slight positioning errors just because he, he lacks a step or something. You can still see how bad it is when he is not playing there, like how much structure he, he still lends this team how much stability and I, I still think he also has this uh, mental toughness he's not the sort of player that um you know cracks under pressure um <laughs> that being said uh, he certainly had his uh shares in that uh 2-2 equalizer right before uh Batroy scored a 3-1 but he also had the assist so um you know sort of rectified his his mistake there um 
But um, what do you what do you think Pichek's role will be going forward? Because I I think uh, he added another year also maybe to become more of a mentor, more of a squad player. I just don't see him to be a starter still in in two seasons. What do you think? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's it's more a mentoring, tutoring role, as one would say in football manager speak, um, <laughs> the game that is. So tutoring younger players, helping them along in the entire process because he's definitely a team leader, um, mentally strong, like you said. Uh, and I think he's, you know, possibly, I don't know him well enough to say this, but maybe this is also one of those steps to see if he stays on in Dortmund in some capacity after his playing career ends, maybe in a coaching role, youth development role, or something like that, which would really, really be great. And it would definitely also help uh, continue Dortmund's recruitment uh, of talented players from Poland as well. Yeah, definitely. He could at some point be the next Massimo Mariotti and just run around the mix zone of players to conduct interviews and translate between Polish and, and German. Um, that could, of course, be a thing. Uh, Matthias, before we talk about the game, um, we obviously have to talk about Boris Dortmund's uh, social media appearance in the way that uh, Marco Reus uh, met Nobby Dickel in an elevator. And uh, then Lukas Piszczek was uh, basically talking in Polish Polish for 30 seconds. And then Michael saw coming out and saying, this was Polish. Um, basically adapting the intro of a German TV show called Sendung mit der Maus. <laughs> well, it's, it's a kid's show where they basically is explain a lot of stuff uh, kid-friendly wise and they usually start off with a language and then uh, later on tell what language it is um i actually thought those two yeah ways to announce royce and also pishek uh, that they extended their contracts uh, was kind of nice um i don't know how much of a social media twit you are but uh, i i thought You know, it was well thought out uh, looking at other stuff like Yo Pierre or whatever. I, I thought it you know, was one of the, the better ideas so far. What do you think? Oh, it made me laugh. Um, I mean, for, for one, I don't think anybody's ever going to be worried about any of these people uh, winning an Oscar anytime soon. Um, but at the same time, it was funny. It was witty. It was something different. It wasn't all that look at me type stuff that you see all too often uh, from players or clubs when it comes to uh, contract announcements or new signings or stuff like that. It was, I liked it. It was something different. Uh, it was, like you said, well thought out. And uh, I'll have to give a, a shout out to their social media department or media department in general. Uh, it was well done and it put a smile on everybody's face at a time when obviously a lot of fans are a little bit discontent. Yeah, certainly. I can only... Uh applaud them for, for doing that well done Borussia Dortmund social media team uh, they even have a, a English speaking or US Twitter account now I think at black yellow it is um, I'm still not sure what to make of it um, but uh, people may remember a very long time ago I had Peter Flore on here on the show and uh, interviewed him about the social media appearance he is obviously the guy who is the master mind behind the Twitter account of Borussia Dortmund and uh, back then you know they were still very far away from launching their own English-speaking Twitter account but I think with uh, going to the United States this summer uh, you know they thought they need 
an American or English language outlet as well. So they have that now. Um, I guess we'll keep an eye on that. Um, anyway, um, let's stop the chit chat about social media posts and uh, cover what we usually do. And that is the game. Um, very exciting game. Also a couple of rotations. Socrates out of the lineup. Uh, Akanji in. Then we had Gonzalo Castro moving from right back spot to the double pivot next to Mahmoud Dahoud to uh, replace Julian Weigel. Mario Götze also got a breather. Christian Pulisic came into the team. And uh, Maximilian Philipp also started uh, for Batshuayi, who obviously also needed a breather. Um, Matthias, if you look at that starting lineup, do you think uh, Peter Sugar made all the right choices in uh, the sense that all the players that needed to rest got a rest? Well, from that aspect, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, given that uh, the situation with the Europa League basically being a weekly competition at this point, uh, you, you kind of have to rotate that dramatically or that drastically at this point. And uh, I think he hit the nail on the head just because at the end of the day, you get the three points. So if you get all the three points, everybody did everything right, correct? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sort of, but I'm... I mean, then again, you really have to look at were those three points deserved? Um, and does the sort of win inspire sustainability of winning? Or uh, was it the sort of situation where you sneak a smash and grab, let's call it, like a one win away to Gladbach, where you are shot by 28 to 7? Um, Matthias, if we compare this game to the Salzburg match, do you think it was improvement? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dortmund played with a totally different, it seemed like a totally different intensity. Uh, I would say a different level of concentration, even though, once again, they did concede two goals. But we also can't forget this was against an Eintracht Frankfurt side, which, in my opinion, if we take Bayern out of the equation, is probably the hottest side in the Bundesliga over the last, I don't know, eight months, <laughs> it seems. Uh, highly touted, and, you know, a lot of people that I listened to made them favorites even for this match. So, uh, it, it was one of those matches where it really kind of showed what kind of mental fortitude Dortmund could have in playing a tough opponent that's hot when you are not hot at the moment, coming off a very, very lackluster and disappointing loss against Salzburg. And I think from that aspect alone, it's worth more than just the three points, just from a psychological standpoint. So um, I, to me, obviously it was better because you, you know, got three goals and yes one of them was an own goal but you know whatever uh, it happens to the best of us <laughs> but uh overall i'd have to say not bad um i'll also say that this is probably a match where i didn't mind dahoot too much uh, i thought he actually played pretty decently overall and that's a lot coming from me because everybody knows i've been a little critical of the young man over the last what eight months yeah, I mean, you had a lot of reasons to criticize him because uh, he didn't have too many great games. So I, I, I thought it was really encouraging, especially after the 1-1 draw against Leipzig, where he, in my view, was already pretty good. And uh, now he, you know, took this, this chance and actually converted it. And, uh, you know, our <laughs> holding midfielders are a little streaky every now and then. And uh, it was very encouraging to see him to basically yeah conserve that form and even build on it because i i thought he was actually better than he uh was um 
in, in Leipzig, maybe that had to do that he was paired up with, with Castro and that he, especially in the first half, had awarded a lot of space. Um, and as much as I want to praise the, uh, intensity of, of Dortmund in the first half, especially those opening 20 minutes or 25 minutes, um, you could also see the difference between Salzburg and, and Frankfurt in as such that, uh, Salzburg were way more compact. And pressed also much better. Uh, you didn't see a lot of pressing from Frankfurt in the beginning. Dortmund players had a lot of time on the ball and, uh, you know, could make runs. Obviously, Dortmund can then utilize that, but uh, nevertheless, uh, you also have to pin it on Frankfurt a little bit that Dortmund looked good early on. But, uh, I also on the same, in the same moment, I don't want to take too much credit away from Dortmund because I really thought they played well. As you said, uh, Mahmoud Dahoud, a good first half. <laughs> um, but there is one problem with his performance and that is, uh, yeah, his, his fouls. And he was really, really close to a second booking. Um, very close to halftime, there was this aerial duel against uh, Kevin Prince Boateng, which wasn't a foul, but uh, Dahoud lost. And I think he he went to the ground as well just because he was out-muscled and uh, then basically got up again and he was already on the booking and uh, charged at Boateng and uh, tried to wrestle the ball off him and uh, nearly did something silly and you can really see that he's very hot-headed, that he's very impulsive and has not a lot of control over those impulses. And uh, this, I think, can turn into a liability. And um, especially in the second half, it, it really showed for Dortmund because uh, Niko Kovac made some adjustments and uh, Peter Sugar was forced to bring on Julian Weigl, who is not the defensive most stable player in the team. And uh, all of a sudden, Weigl was going up against uh, Boateng, was completely outmatched. Obviously, it had to happen. And, uh, you know, Marco Royce said it himself in the, in the mix zone afterwards that, uh, basically what happened, Frankfurt had to take Rebic off because he, uh, was also close to a double booking, booking. And then, uh, they brought on, uh, Jovic, I think it was. Well, or no, that was actually De Guzman, right? Um, yeah, De Guzman was coming on and, uh, they had one more midfielder. And, uh, Royce put it this way that, uh, Frankfurt had more control over the half spaces and then uh, Dortmund's coverage, I guess is the word, was completely off and they never really managed to repair that. And uh, that is, in, in my view, a really big criticism towards the coach. Um, if if your vice captain in, in this sense uh, basically says, yeah, well, we need to have more control. This must not happen in the whole match. Um, we uh, can't just uh, sit around and wait and in the end... Sugar even intensified that by by basically bringing on Socrates and fielding a back five. But uh, back to my initial point, uh, Dahoud sort of added to that problem by uh, forcing Julian Weigel onto the field, who right now is not at his best form and uh, was certainly not suited to uh, yeah go up in challenges against this very physical Frankfurt midfield. Um, what do you think? Matthias, about uh, Nico Kovac's adjustments and Stuger's lack thereof. Do you think Stuger's hand was forced or do you think that uh, the Austrian coach still could have done a little bit better than he did? Well, I think he could have done a little bit better than he did. I mean, if he simply would have adjusted in a way to go from a 4-2-3-1 more to a 4-1-4-1 or, you know, 4-3-3, yeah, basically a, a Tuchel-type system versus what he was using, I mean... Having Castro paired 
with Weigel is a liability because neither one of them are good in a defensive sense is when you're looking for that type of stability. And like you already mentioned, Weigel is off his form this season. Castro either has form or doesn't, and he didn't in this match. Uh, I actually thought he was doing okay, to be honest. For him for this season, yeah, but I still wasn't overly impressed. I mean, um, it... <sighs> You know, I was hoping to see to see other things. I mean, it's kind of one of those situations where this is where one of those where I would have said maybe you bring in Shaheen or Gutza and convert that to a, a more defensive-looking midfield trio to kind of combat what what Frankfurt had, but you would still be physically um, outmuscled by what you're facing there with with Frankfurt and. To me, what really bothered me, and I, we talked about it a little bit pre-pod, was when, when you just look at the stats, you know, I mean, you're playing at home against a team like Frankfurt that is more a counter-attacking type mentality team, and you play significantly less passes, Frankfurt outpossess you, and your passing percentage is only 70% for a Dortmund side that when you go back to Tuchel or even under Bosch, it was over 80%. And so that's just not enough. Like you said, when you're just kind of sitting there and waiting, not making any mistakes, uh, kind of saying you're just going to hope to hang on to a one-goal lead, uh, that's just not enough. Not for this side, not playing at home, and not for the ability that you have. So while it's super that we won, we got three points, huge, huge bonus for us. The the same symptomatic issues that we had talked about in previous weeks are still there, and it's the same stuff you addressed just moments ago. Yeah, definitely. Especially 70% pass completion isn't really great against a team that, as you said, is good on a counterattack because you sort of want to prevent that. And uh, if you have a very low pass completion rate, you obviously uh, have a lot of turnovers. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no other way around it. So, um, yes, as Marco was asked whether this was an improvement, he first said, yeah, the first half it was. And then he was just asked, yeah, and then? And then he said, yeah, then it was shit. <laughs> and uh, it was a little blunt, but uh, I don't think uh, you need to sugarcoat it right now. And uh, I must really say, um, I personally was very impressed with the way Marco Royce talked to the journalists after the game. He has matured a lot, in, in my view. He actually can analyze the game for you. He can break down problems for you. He... Uh, you know, doesn't really uh, beat around the bush like other players. For example, uh, Gonzalo Castro is like my favorite one right now uh, in uh, talking just gibberish, more or less. But he was very straight with, with Dortmund's issues and uh, yeah, basically said what the problems were and good good on him. Uh, he is he, he is very clear in his head right now and this is something I like. I, I think... In, in general, it helps him to know that his future is, is certain now, that he has clarity in, in that sense to really be even more focused on, on what he's doing now. It's nothing that would uh, transcend into a mix-on interview, of course, but, you know, just in general, you can really feel that uh, he is a team captain and very much a different player to the one that joined in 2012. Um, yeah, so just wanted to... Leave that one here, very mature Marco Royce, and that has. I gotta say, I was I was just really impressed by by his uh, yeah words 
after the game. If you want to read what he said, you can uh, go on ESPNFC and find it there. Um, I also want to praise real quick Maximilian Philipp, who also came back from a sort of long-term injury uh, with his first start. And I thought, um, especially in the first half, where he sometimes dropped a little deeper behind Pulisic and Schuller and, and, and Royce, where he was almost playing in central midfield, sometimes he was really doing well to press Da Costa, Hasebe and Rus that uh, triangle on, on Frankfurt's right side. And I thought his intensity and his ball-willing quality and his, his movement and the way he ran at players and what sort of angles, it really helped Dortmund to um, shut down Frankfurt and, uh, as I said before, force a lot of errors out of, out of Frankfurt and force turnovers. And I think in the 10th minute or so, he had an awesome pass with the outside to his boot to Pulisic and he he of course squared it over to Schöle who then missed the header and uh, yeah a couple of yeah just one minute later I think Toprak then won the ball in midfield after losing it pass it to Dahoud great through ball to Pulisic and this time uh, Marco Rus almost Royce <laughs> scored it was the own goal but uh, nevertheless um you know that was a very improved uh, showing by uh, Philip of course after his uh, yeah 10 minutes or whatever it was against Salzburg and uh, really encouraging and it's good to know that Dortmund can rely on on him and uh, maybe shout out a little bit how much they missed him because uh, if you if you look at it it if you look at how much uh, Dortmund had to rely on Schürrle, Götze and Royce up front and Batshuayi in the recent games without many you know alternatives it's just good to know that a couple of guys are back and with that I uh guess we can segue to Christian Pulisic who was very much back in this game to me from the starters the best players maybe next to Dahoud but Dahoud sort of disqualified himself for uh, uh, man of the match awards with his uh, let's say hot-headedness uh, Pulisic one assist I want to say two assists uh, but the stats guys see it differently I guess um, Matthias I guess we can hear from the man himself real quick and then you can Say a couple of words. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. It was a really good performance today. Um, yeah. After not starting in four games in a row, do you think that you gain, regained some freshness? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's given me some time to work hard in training and uh, continue to get better. And I'm happy that I could help the team today. What worked better today than on Thursday? Uh, I mean, I think that uh, the team just uh, was there to fight for uh, most of the game, and obviously things didn't go perfect. We definitely still have things to work on, but we always we always had that fight in us, and uh, every time they equalized, you know, we we got the next goal. So uh, it was a good performance. You already had a good match when you came into the match uh, against Salzburg, uh, some good action, and today two assists. Um, how happy are you about your own performance? Uh, I feel very good right now, very confident, so um, like I said, I'm just happy that I can go out and help the team in any way I can, and uh, yeah, I'm happy I made a good impression today. Can you describe the last four minutes of the game? <laughs> I don't remember, I was tired, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know, they scored, I guess, and 
obviously the stadium kind of went quiet and uh, but I still felt like we had some energy left in us a little bit and uh, I'm happy that we could you know get that winner at the end so how important is this success for the team for the next important week yeah it's it's really big uh, we needed a big win today especially for our fans now you know we got a Europa League game we got to try to turn it around and then uh, you know we got to continue to the Bundesliga and finish it out strong many people, many people tend to forget it's your first season as a real starter on the team or at least you were a starter in, in, the, in the whole phase up to Christmas and after that um, did, did you need that break because you weren't really used to playing that rhythm or how I mean, would you describe that you know it, it's, it's tough to say um, the coach decided to you know give me a few games rest and uh, I was okay with the decision you know gave me some time like I said to rest you know work hard come in as a sub try to help the team and now I'm back for uh, for whenever the team needs to use me so but it didn't work out that bad because you seemed a lot more energetic today I guess you could say that <laughs> did the coach uh, did say anything special to you in front of the match uh, before the match you mean yeah. um, you know the normal stuff you know to the team and obviously talking to me but uh, you know I just uh, I take I took it like every other game so. when Socrates uh, was up on in the final five minutes he gave a sheet to Marcel Schmelzer do you know what was on there I have no idea I gotta go <laughs> All right, that was Christian Pulisic. He is very much uh, in reinvigorated, very happy to, uh, yeah, being back on the field and having full confidence again. Um, Matthias, encouraging words um, after being out for what was it, three starts or so? He was benched. Yeah. It, what it, do you what it, do you make of him? To me, it's what allowed him because he's still such a young player, and you know he's the the hope of American soccer. And, uh, you know, we had talked about it in previous pods this season. I mean, he started off under Bosch like house on fire. I mean, he was fantastic. He was the best Dortmund player, in my opinion, in the early part of the season. And then it really slowed down. And it's not, to me, it's not a coincidence that it slowed down the moment the United States didn't qualify for the World Cup because that was a huge blow to him personally, because it kind of would have been a showcase event for him. I think he was hoping for it to be a showcase event to move on to the next big club, and that obviously didn't take place. And given that he's still so young, um, I think his confidence took a little bit of a knock. Uh, he couldn't always perform at that high of a level. There's a lot of pressure on him from the United States side that right now is a little bit down just because there's nothing to play for right now and allowing him that time to kind of reflect and calm down, kind of get his maturity back uh, to a certain level, uh, I think really, really helped him. There's probably also fatigue in there just because the amount of minutes that he played, not just under Bosch, but then also last season under, under Tuchel and then always playing for the U S basically, no matter what under Bruce arena, um, like that or don't like that. Uh, I, I think this was this was good. This was great to see, especially in a difficult match. This is the kind of match that actually suits him because uh, he's also an aggressive, attack-minded, going-forward type of player. And I didn't... S and because he was going up against Chandler. <laughs> well, yeah, and Timmy Chandler sucks. You know, I mean, let's just... And I'm not just saying that because I'm a U.S. soccer fan and I 
not a big fan of Timmy Chandler, but in that aspect, defensively, Timmy Chandler's always been a, a total liability. But it was it was the right match at the right time for him as a young player to get his confidence back. And I didn't see a lot of the issues that we'd been seeing previously, you know, where he just runs down a blind alley and doesn't know where to go with it and loses possession. I thought he was significantly better. And like you said, given Dahoud's lack of maturity at the end of the first half, he's clearly the player of the match, despite somebody else getting the goals. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he could have had three assists if uh, Andre Schiller had known how to head the ball. <laughs> you know, it's it's always easy to say when you're sitting uh, here behind the microphone and not standing on a pitch. Uh, I'm pretty sure I could have missed that one easily as well. But then again, I'm not the uh, record signing. <laughs> um, Matthias, then when we're in the uh, theme of uh, reinvigorated players and uh, players catching a break... Um, Michi Bajuai caught a break for about 60 minutes and then came on. Um, Peter Sugar has talked a lot about this, um, in the recent news conferences and the cycles that, you know, players are basically fatigued and had to play a lot after coming from injuries or not having played a lot of games, as it is the case for Bajuai. Do you really think that, um, this was a game to really underscore what, what Sugar meant in, in the sense that Bajuai finally again looked pretty much like the player that he looked in the very first three games for Dortmund? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the thing with, with Bacuay, I mean, he started also, like I said, like a house on fire. He used that term again. But, like, he was on fire from the word go. Everyone is excited. He was excited. He wanted to keep it going, which is typical for players that are on loan because they have something to prove to their parent club or to another club that's looking to sign them. And then it, it seemed he felt flat, not just because he was playing all the time, given our lack of depth at the striker position, um, but also the fact that uh, he was trying too much and he would take the ball in bad situations, shoot in the wrong situation instead of passing, and it just wasn't coming together. And, and, and that really hurt Dortmund in that sense and hurt him. So I think him getting that mental break and, you know, obviously the physical break in this match and coming on fully invigorated and full power um, for the last, was it 30 minutes, um, that really made a big difference. And, and you could see it because obviously uh, Frankfurt were starting to get a little bit fatigued at that point too. And then you bring on a player like him. Well, that's almost not fair at that point. Yeah, and he already showed for Chelsea that he can have impact as a sub. So it's not the sort of player where you have to worry that he gets completely lost after coming on. I actually wouldn't mind if Sugar opts for that a couple more times if uh, yeah, the schedule stays cramped. Let's just assume it won't because I just don't see Dortmund getting past Salzburg on Thursday. But uh, nevertheless, um, yeah, it's 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 good that... Sugar now gets the chance to give a couple of players a rest. Um, before we talk about the, the goals that Dortmund scored, I want to uh, briefly touch upon the mistakes that were made um, because Dortmund indeed conceded twice and uh, conceded also very late. Um, the first goal that uh, was scored by a Jovic um, ahead of sort of Schmelzer and Julian Weigel failing to uh, cover him I don't know who was in charge there um, and the whole yeah, free kick situation was only uh, basically instigated by a really bad Julian Weigel pass. Um, overall, though, 
you could just see this goal coming now, couldn't you? Well, you can see this kind of goal coming with Dortmund every match, it seems, lately. It's just uh, at that magical hour when Dortmund seemed to just go to sleep collectively. And uh, this, it's, it's, it wasn't undeserved um, overall from the run of play. I mean, obviously, Frankfurt, even statistically, was the better side, at least, more dominant, uh, which is weird say um so no i mean it, it was deserved it was obviously coming and you know when it comes to the defensive efforts of dortmund uh, especially on center back pairings i'd like to see a consistent center back pairing i almost don't care who it is play more often just to make them feel more stable because i still just don't get that sense that they're overly confident in one another and then in themselves though i gotta say i'm I personally am more conf confident in the uh, Toprak-Akanji pairing than in the Socrates-Toprak oh, pairing. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Ak Although Akanji uh, kept, uh, I don't even know who it was on site uh, when the uh, second goal was scored. Um, nevertheless, um, I, I thought overall he had another good performance, but uh, he also has his uh, Matthias Ginter moments, basically. <laughs> There was this back pass to Roman Bürki, where it was a little bit too close for comfort, I would say, in the first half, but uh, usually he recovers just fine. Um, obviously, Dortmund spent a lot of cash on him, but, um, you know, it's it's pretty early for him. He didn't really have any sort of preseason or time to gel with the team, and he is basically in and out, also because of the EuroLeague, uh, but nevertheless, I, I think he is doing quite well, and especially in, in games where... Um, You know, you, you go up against players that also have a little bit more pace. It's, it doesn't hurt to have Akanji there, but uh, most importantly, he just doesn't have those reckless positional errors like Socrates, who just sometimes leave his line to, to win a ball in midfield when there's absolutely no need for it. Um, so yeah, I would hope that uh, Akanji and Toprak also get to play against Hanover. Um, But you are right in in the sense that uh, you want to build a little bit more automatism there <laughs> at the at the back and uh, yeah I also asked you earlier whether you think Stöger could have done better. Um, obviously Royce already uh, mentioned that Dortmund were basically outnumbered in the crucial positions in the half spaces in their own defensive half and uh, this uh, always bodes trouble and Dortmund didn't really find a way to uh, counter that. Um, in, in more general terms, um, Peter Sugar said that, you know, don't kid yourself. This season will not go smoothly. Matthias, do you agree after this game that, uh, at no point whatsoever there will be ever a comfortable win again? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we don't get to play Hamburg again. And even that one wasn't that comfortable, but, um, it, it it's, he's right. It's just, it's going to be uncomfortable moving forward as long as we still get the points. You know, it's all about making it to the Champions League for next season. That's really the only thing that matters. Whether you come in second, third, or fourth, honestly, it doesn't matter because all, the top four all qualify for the Champions League without having to go through qualification. So, that's the goal. That's what they're working towards. And this win was a huge step given where Frankfurt were at the table and they have a little bit more of a point gap now to fifth place. Um, but it, it won't be comfortable, it won't be smooth, it won't be pretty all the time. There will be moments of it, but then you'll see moments like the, the goals conceded against Frankfurt. Um, and, and I also don't think that the next opponent will make it any easier on Dortmund. 
No, I I have a hunch it it won't be easier against the Brighton Ritter side. But um, let's talk just briefly about the two two equalizer because uh, what uh, preceded that was that Peter Stöger opted for a back five. He brought in Socrates and I think he took off Royce and uh, Socrates then handed a nice little sheet of paper to uh, to uh, Schmelzer. Socrates handed it to Schmelzer and uh, basically had the instructions. I I think it was like a five three two something shape. Can't really recall, but um, I personally have to say, if you're Borussia Dortmund and if you're playing at home, um, you should not sit on the narrowest lead for not only the reason that you're Borussia Dortmund and that you should have the footballing quality to come up with other solutions, but also because I just don't think you have the sort of players that actually can defend their own space around the box. I just don't think that they have the... um the cohesion let's let's put it this way to um yeah just you know set up a big wall like uh, like Jose Mourinho would do around their own penalty area and just uh, grind it out um we've seen this a couple of times now um how do you like that mentality of Peter Stuttgart to just say okay we're gonna sit on this one goal lead honestly I hate it I, I I've always um, my personal philosophy on football is you attack, you, you're aggressive, you go forward. I believe that if you allow a team that's not a crap team, because Frankfurt are a good team, if you allow them the time and the space, you're going, the inevitable will happen. It's kind of like allowing a ton of time and space against Manchester City. You're just going to lose. That's just, that's just a fact of life. And Dortmund isn't a team that's built like that. They're not built like, I don't know. Burnley, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term, they're not built to defend in a low block and all that kind of uh, stuff. They're they're meant to go forward. These are attacking fullbacks. These are, I mean, even when you look at the central midfield trio or pairing that he had on the pitch, then at that given time, these are not defensive minded central midfielders. They're not physical presences. They're not. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some ball retention players in there, but you're not playing ball retention. You're not playing possession. It's just letting the other team have it and have possession and try to find a way through. And like you said, they're not, Dublin isn't built to be that compact and cohesive defensively. That's not what they're meant to do. And so I think playing that way, you're going to concede. It's no matter what. Yeah, I just think it's asking for trouble and I'm not really happy about it, to be honest, because the writing is always sort of on the wall and you also know that Eintracht Frankfurt are the sort of side when they don't create something from open play like they actually did on a 2-2 equalizer because, um, you know, Toprak and, and Schmelzer just had this nice little run open and Nakanji, uh, you know, failed to, uh, you know, set up the offside trap and allow a cross and Lucas Piszczek is called napping and can't, you know, reach the ball quicker, even though he had a head start over Danny Bloom, then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just sad. But even if this sort of goal doesn't happen, I still can picture Frankfurt very well to just, you know, have a lucky deflection in a box or something because they have a lot of physical players and uh, can make something happen out of nothing from there. And, uh, Dortmund, I feel like, are very prone to concede just on coincidence as well, just as they are prone to to score on coincidence these days. And um, maybe 
um, after talking about Borussia Dortmund's uh, conceding habit, we can actually talk about something that hasn't happened for them in, in recent games, but uh, was very refreshing to see that uh, when they conceded, they always came up with an immediate response. Um, especially the first goal um, was really nice to see because it was a goal created out of play by themselves, which uh, doesn't really happen all that often. But uh, basically what happened is that uh, Weigel received the ball and passed it onto Pulisic. And then you saw an amazing one-two between Pulisic and Batshuayi, passing it back and forth. And um, that sort of flowing move was just really nice to see because A, you could see the playmaking qualities that uh, Christian Pulisic has. And you can also see the intelligence of, of Batshuayi in the, in the way that he knew exactly when to start his run to not be caught offside. I mean, that was that was pretty amazing. And then uh, it was sort of really nice to see how much time Batshuayi took there for himself to really aim for that left bottom corner. Um, that was a great goal. Um, which one, obviously, the second one, was a little bit more emotional, but which one actually was uh, your favorite in this one of the last two? Well, it's hard to not like the one that wins it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just last moment, all the emotion um, and, and passion of a team that's fighting together. And, and like you said, I mean, just the combinations. Um, and it showed the class that Dortmund have. It's almost like we've forgotten about that. Uh, over the over this season that's been so up and down, I and mean, we saw it at the beginning of the season, and it kind of all went away. And and occasionally we see those moments again of fast combination play, attacking movement, fluidity, and then a nice goal. Uh, I I would like to see it more often, please. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that that was nice, um, but it did remind us that it is possible. So I you know the winner always is the winner for me. Yeah, that was that was certainly an interesting goal, especially um I was criticizing Andre Schiller the entire game. Um not for the lack of ideas, because I thought he had amazing ideas and great footballing solutions, but he just couldn't execute them over basically ninety minutes. And then he has this this run in the in the fourth minute or third minute of stoppage time first, Marcel Schmesser chests down the ball without any pressure runs forward through midfield and has a one-two with Castro who's laying on the ground and sort of heads the ball into Schmelz's path and then the pass comes to to Schuller I think and then he just starts to run forward and uh, I don't know if I'm mixing things up here but uh, at least Schuller's run was sort of crazy because Dani Jacosta almost had it but uh, you know it, it just stuck with Schuller and this is you know, as as much as you can criticize Andre Schüller, but I think in in this instance he showed amazing power of will. Now the cross wasn't all that great, but it certainly forced Frankfurt to have sort of an uncontrolled clearance, and then Castro was very just lucky to be standing where he was and pass it over to Piszczek. And I think the pass by Piszczek to Bachoy was pretty great, um, because that was intentional. That wasn't just like the sort of uh, hail mary pass. But I think he actually looked up and uh, really wanted to place the ball right there. And um, the goal from Batshuayi obviously was amazing, Matthias. So you think that was a world-class goal, given A, the technique, but also the pressure you were under when it's more or less the last kick of the game? If that would have been a Champions League elimination game, it was the last few seconds before you get kicked out of the Champions League against a team from Spain, say... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, those are the world-class moments uh, as far as high pressure goes. But 
in my opinion. Uh, but I would say it's pretty darn close. I mean, everything needed to be pinpoint accurate, and it was. And it showed the class that also old man Lucas Pichek still has in him. Yeah, certainly. That was that was really encouraging. And uh, I got to say, though, um, you know, there were there were times in my life where I could enjoy those moments a little bit more because uh, of sitting down the press strand. I had to rewrite the whole freaking text like three times within three minutes. It's a little annoying. But um, yeah, I'm not one to really complain there, am I now? But uh, nevertheless... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't you can't you just win two one and and uh, leave those freaky three minutes out of the equation? Because then I also would have had the correct prediction because I did see Dortmund winning this two to one. Um, you also you already alluded to the uh, table and what this means for Dortmund. They are now one point behind Schalke still, who were uh, were fortunate enough to win one 0 away to Mainz. Uh, Leverkusen also picked up a win against Gladbach pretty comfortable if you ask me and uh leipzig dropped two points yet again leipzig now two losses and two draws in their last four games so their uh, form isn't going well um with dortmund now being five points ahead of leipzig i know they still play away to munich and away to schalke but do you think um leipzig are sort of tumbling a little bit and uh, won't be much of a threat or uh, is it too early to really count them out I'd say it's too early to count anybody out this season outside of Bayern. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, you know, a couple of matches go one way or another and, and the whole freaking thing looks totally different. I mean, at some point I'm, I'm thinking we'll actually get what they deserve. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, or I don't hate to say it that way, but in the sense of they really didn't deserve to win against Mainz. Uh, they haven't been playing... Well, they definitely haven't been playing attractive football. They've been playing lucky football for half the time, very defensive. And you would think that at some point that hurts them. They get some results against them, and then they actually have to do something going forward. But yeah, I mean, the the precipitous fall of Leipzig over the last few weeks, as well as, you know, Hoffenheim to a certain degree as well. And, you know, but I'd say the greatest threat for Champions League are... You know, Schalke, probably still Frankfurt, and then definitely Leverkusen. Yeah, to me, Leverkusen are still the best team of those you just named. And I think they will actually finish as vice champions. Um, I, I, uh, haven't seen them, uh, their, their schedule now since it's just eight games left, quote unquote. Um, but they also still will play in Dortmund, of course. And I, I just want to see Dortmund being the favorites even if they host Leverkusen, because we saw, you know, how Dortmund play against Frankfurt. And, uh, you know, if you just uh, take this performance and uh, say they were going up against Leverkusen and uh, considered possession and whatnot, then I just don't think that uh, Dortmund can uh, get something out of this, especially when we think back to the to the uh, first game this season where Dortmund were very much in trouble un until uh, Leverkusen had a player sent off. And then it, I think, yielded in a 1-1 one -one draw or so. But, um, yeah, Leverkusen, I think, are definitely better than, than Schalke and Dortmund. Although, you know, as much as I hate to do it, but we have to give Schalke credit for their defensive um, prowess, let's put it this way. They have now uh, had three consecutive games without um, conceding. And uh, unlike Dortmund, they can actually set up this low block and just wait on the counter and uh, basically frustrate, narrow the opponent and 
just basically they're they're uh let's call them Hertha Berlin Deluxe because they are a site that completely drains all the fun out of a game and all the life and the football and the joy, but they do it a little bit more successfully than our capital team. I don't know how you find this assessment, but uh, they, in, they in do have regard. better players this yeah. season. Yes, of be course. Be very curious to see what happens next season when they don't have a, a Goretzka and a Max Maia and, and really anybody of much creative ilk. You'll be curious. I'll be very curious to see what their recruitment looks like. Yeah, me too. Um, but I think not having Goretzka in there will definitely be a blow. I don't think that Schalke will recover all that quickly. I may be wrong, but uh, you know, I think not having Goretzka in your in your team will really, really hurt because he has been just fantastic so far. And yeah, I mean, he has been injured a lot, but nevertheless, when he plays, he makes such a difference. I think Dortmund fans know very well what I'm talking about because uh, their turnaround in that Omnius derby came when Goretzka entered the field. Um, all right. I think that sort of covers it all. Um, Matthias, unless you want to talk about anything about the Frankfurt game, if you have any takeaways that we should mention, do that now. Otherwise, a quick preview on uh, the Thursday night game. Absolutely. I mean, yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, as previously mentioned, I don't think Dortmund will have a comeback in this one because Salzburg, to me, have proven that even if they're not... You know, as we're playing individually and uh, after not giving them a lot of credit watching one game of them, yes, I was completely wrong. And I just think their tactical superiority over Dortmund will do the job. Um, I can't remember the last time Dortmund actually won by, by a two goal difference. I think Hamburg actually it was, right? Yeah, that, that was the one. Um, I just don't see it this time and Dortmund need to score two goals from the get-go and um, if you ask me I also wouldn't if I were Dortmund I wouldn't put all my eggs in the Europa League basket just because the qualification for the Champions League spots is so so far more important and uh, either you win the Europa League or you don't compete <laughs> I guess that's the credo I know I'm a little bit cynical but uh, at this point um, yeah Dortmund have been really really poor in Europe so far they've only registered one win <laughs> against Atalanta and that's it on European stage. So um yeah, it's just a horrible, horrible European season and uh you know my wife and I will take a nice trip to Salzburg, look at the castles and whatnot and uh you know have a fun night out. But I just don't think uh that Dortmund will have a similar fun night as as we will and uh yeah, we'll just crash out. I, I also see Stöger making a couple of uh, rotations and maybe resting a player here and there. What do you think? Well, you know me. I, I am the eternal optimist. Um, and, you know, much was made of the fact that Salzburg, you know, Dortmund followed up the disappointing loss with an emotional and important victory, whereas Salzburg followed up that very uh, positive display against Dortmund with a rather flat draw against Mattersburg. Um, yeah, they rotated like eight yeah, players. I yeah, think. I don't, I don't know if that really matters at all. I, I think Salzburg, they've pretty much got the league wrapped up more or less. Uh, I don't expect well, them to. Well, maybe the point matters for Mattersburg. Yeah, for Mattersburg, but not, not for them. So that, you know, where, where we may look to bring on a weakened side, they'll probably field their strongest side, uh, cause they want to make a point. Red Bull wants to make a point, um, especially with Leipzig also. Um, still, still in it. Um, 
you know, on paper, quality-wise, Dortmund should win, but they should have won the first match, uh, given the, like you said, lack of tactical superiority. I think Dortmund could win the match, but lose the tie, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. I can see them win this 2-1 and then still crash out. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's my prediction yet again. Um, I'm going f put put all my money on the housewife tip. And um, as I already mentioned, I think there will not be a podcast right after this game because, uh, you know, I will be in Salzburg enjoying a couple of days off so no recording for me so that means we sort of already also have to look ahead to the Hanover game this is a game where I'm actually quite excited about because I for the first time in a very long time I have a positive feeling for Dortmund getting a result not comfortably because that's never gonna happen but at least I you know I don't have to force myself to a positive prediction I just think they will even though it's going to be close but I think they will win um Dortmund have the big advantage that Ilias Bebu who scored a brace in the first game uh, is uh, out with a suspension because he picked up this fifth yellow card I think that actually makes a lot of difference and um I think Hanover, the the 4-2 loss in the first half of the season was a highlight match of what can go wrong when Peter Bosch is at the sideline. And um, that was basically Dortmund running into the open knife. Then Dortmund obviously also came back to make it 2-2 or so. But uh, Zagadou got sent off and from then on it was always going to be an uphill battle. And I still think, you know, as great as Hanover are counterattacking wise, um, you know, that was a bit of a freak game. And I also think that uh, if Dortmund have repaired one thing is that they don't run as blindly into the open knife as they did before. And uh, Hanover uh, arriving in the Westfalen Stadium with a rather damning track record because they've lost their last three games against uh, Gladbach, Frankfurt and uh, Augsburg. And uh, yeah, before that, 1-1 draw against Cologne and their, their last win was like a very, I don't want to say fortunate, but... Uh, it was a close one against Freiburg. That was a 2-1 win. Um, Matthias, you will actually be at this game. And uh, if I'm lucky enough, we get to meet each other there. <laughs> um, what are you looking forward to? And did Dortmund win the last time you were there? Are you a lucky charm? Well, the last time I was in the Westfalenstadion and Dortmund played against Hannover, it was still called the Westfalenstadion. And I believe Jan Koller scored twice and Dortmund won 6-2. Uh, now, yes, that was in 2003, uh, but uh, I'm going to take that as the positive omen. I'm trying to remember the last time I was in the stadium. I, I want to say it was a draw, but I can't even quite remember who it was against because it was trying to remember. I Honestly, I, I, I can't for the life of me. I think it was like September of 2015 was the last time uh, I was I was in the stadium. So... Um, I'm, whoop, uh, knock something over, but, um, hopefully, hopefully this will be more like the last time I saw Dortmund play against Hannover than anything else. Any, anything you want to say about the opponent? Do you, I don't know how much you've seen of them in, in the recent games. I certainly haven't seen all that much. Um, I would say that, uh, they now have underperformed quite drastically in this year after really overperforming i guess it's just uh regressing to the means as they say um 
but uh, yeah, now it's a little bit topsy turvy for them. Um, I mean, honestly, to to quote an NFL coach, they are who we thought they were, um, <laughs> and that's that's. I mean, they they started fantastic in the season. I had predicted Breitenreiter to be amongst the managers sacked this season. I'm obviously wrong about that, which is fine. I never rejoice in people losing their jobs, but they are more now what. We always thought they would be. They are more now like Andre Breitenreiter teams where, you know, we think back. I remember Hannover were top of the Bundesliga at a, pretty much the exact same time as Paderborn were top of the Bundesliga years earlier under Breitenreiter and Paderborn were relegated that season. Now, I don't think necessarily Hannover will get relegated. Two more losses and they're right in that mix. To be honest, uh, depending on what, if, if Mainz and Wolfsburg can actually win a match again, um, I, I don't, see, I don't see Mainz ever yeah, winning anything ever I, I, again. Well, I just don't see, you know, Hannover actually falling quite that far, far, but after the last match, you know, Horst Hedt was really unhappy. They're not playing well. They haven't convinced this calendar year so far. So yeah, they are a promoted side and they're playing accordingly now. Yeah, I feel like there's not going to be a lot more analysis about Hanover coming from my side. I'm really sorry, dear listeners. I Maybe I should have invited someone who uh, knows something, but uh, usually I do those things after Dortmund have played the next game so we actually know who is going to you know, be fit and whatnot from Dortmund's perspective to preview that game. But, uh, you know, the schedule this time for once doesn't allow it. Um but, you know, I, I think it's it's going to be another fun game because, as mentioned previously, Hanover obviously will try to counterattack the hell out of Dortmund. And uh, Dortmund, even though they have solidified their defense a little bit, I still think they are going to make a couple of offers here and there. And um, I really hope Dortmund do not give away silly set pieces because Felix Klaus in the reverse fixture has shown what he can do with a dead ball situation and... You know, this sort of talent doesn't usually go away. Um, so <laughs> unless you're playing for Dortmund, that is, of course, because when was the last time Dortmund scored a direct free kick? I think Marcel Schmesser some, at some point in the cup got lucky the goalkeeper Flotte or so, uh, wasn't really doing his job quite well. But, uh, in the Bundesliga, I think it was Marco Reus against Cologne years ago. <laughs> um, so yeah. This is this is one aspect that I want Dortmund to put a focus on. Um and I also do want to see Mahmoud Dahoud playing well again. And I actually thought, you know, to myself looking at the Frankfurt match in the first half that right now maybe the Castro Dahoud midfield combination is maybe a little better for what Dortmund for the football Dortmund are playing than Weigel and Dahoud. What do you think? I will have to reluctantly agree with you on that. <laughs> I know it sort of hurts, but uh, it's, that's just how it is right now. I, I think that uh, Castro and, and Dahoud actually have a sort of good understanding. What I like about Dahoud is that he actually, when he regains possession, that he looks for his midfield partner in crime and also passes him the ball. And this is... Usually very helpful it was the case in Leipzig and also was the case against Frankfurt and helped players like Weigel and Castro to receive the ball a little bit higher up the field and then they could actually do something with it. So, um, yeah, go on Mahmoud Dahoud if you uh, 
you know, continue to play as, as you did in the last two Bundesliga games and, uh, you know, calm down just a little bit. I hope Peter Sugar can talk him out of uh, his aggressiveness and I hope some other teammates just uh, take care of him a little bit as as uh, they did with uh, Usman Dembele at the be- beginning of his uh, Dortmund tenure where, you know, the Marcel Schmelzes and, and Lukas Piszczek or whoever just uh, were very quick to step in when uh <laughs> when the fuse basically burned um so may- maybe uh Dortmund can find a solution that way but uh you know with with all the um you know bumpiness of Dortmund season there are still a couple of positives to take away into the next week and this is something encouraging I guess not only that Marco Reus and Lukas Piszczek extended their contracts but also that Christian Pulisic and uh, Mahmoud Aoud for example had very positive showings so it's not all that bad, Matthias, and I guess on that high note, we can end the show. Yeah, after we give our scoreline predictions, of course. Of course. As I already said mine, it's going to be a 2-1 win. What do you think? I think it's going to be half of the uh, result last time I saw Hannover and Dortmund play in Dortmund, so I'm going to go with a 3-1 for Dortmund. Okay. I, I just had to check the math real quick, but you are absolutely correct there. <laughs> 3-1 is also a really, really nice result. You know, it it would be you know, may, may, maybe I'm asking a lot of a lot here, but maybe it would be nice to decide the game after like 70 minutes, so I sort of know what I'm going to write, <laughs> and don't have to change it all three times over. That you know would be my one wish for the Hanover game, but uh, otherwise, you know, just keep on winning because if Dortmund win this day they uh, have an international break coming up and then of course Bayern Munich next um but you know Hanover should be the team you beat and then leave the the uh, sort of the stint on a high note go on the international break and then everything is reset a little bit and then you know the really crucial stretch of the season starts so yeah I'm sort of looking forward to that um Matthias thanks again for being here Please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. You can find me at Stefan Butzko and my written work on ESPN. And uh, I've got a little bit of news because uh, I released together with a colleague, Stefan Döring, a book. We have about 30% German listeners. So for everyone out there, it's called Es gibt nur eine Borussia. I think Lapa fans ought to <laughs> not buy that one. But um yeah. If you if you go to Amazon or whatever, you can uh, buy that there. It's just ten bucks. It's basically a mixture out of uh, several anecdotes, facts, you know, and other like crazy little stories and, and bits and whatnot. You know, it's uh, the, it's targeted at the younger audience who have, you know, lower attention spans so i guess one minute uh, one hour 15 into the podcast they're not even listening but uh yeah this is something you're going to hear a lot from me in the next couple of weeks because i need to promote and sell that book <laughs> but uh nevertheless was fun writing it <coughs> matthias you will certainly buy a copy right well, i was hoping you'd give me a signed one when we see each other on <laughs> su- on sunday yeah well you haven't actually agreed on meeting me yet so uh, uh, good point good point <laughs> yeah I, I i wrote uh to matthias on whatsapp you know maybe we can actually meet and he was like yeah maybe so well, i um, will have my five-year-old daughter with me so we'll we'll see we'll see but i may hopefully, hopefully. I, i'll be well behaved i promise <laughs> i'm more worried about her than you <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. Matthias, uh, thanks again. And to everyone out there, uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to uh, get one of those Marco Royce cups. And uh, yeah, you can reach us on yellowworldpod.com as always. Twitter handle also yellowworldpod, Facebook yellowworldpod, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all that. You know the drill. Until next week, thank you and goodbye.